So how did this shift occur? Where today in History Channel documentaries or textbooks, our early colonizers are demeaned, they're belittled, God is completely removed from the story, or you just don't learn about them. Next, we're going to play a short clip from the documentary For Our Day, Covenant on the Land, about the Pilgrim Forefathers. Okay, let's back up for a minute. Chances are you may have heard a very different account of America's colonizers than we are presenting. The Plymouth Settlement celebrated the blessings of a good harvest by holding a three-day feast. It was the first Thanksgiving. But there are, there's a major problem with that, isn't there? <laughs> there's a word missing there, and that would be God. Even now, powerful forces are at work. At our universities, among the very best youth, an understanding of our American foundations is nearly non-existent. What do you know about the pilgrims? Pilgrims. <laughs> They wore funny hats and they <laughs> came across the ocean. Just very minimal things. Who are the Puritans? The Puritans, oh my gosh. Um, I don't really know what they believed, I just know the name. I don't remember exactly, it's like they were, I don't remember what their main belief was. And I believe that they, they were really crafty, like they, they worked really hard on their, their like furniture, I guess. Are they important to the Latter-day Saints at all? Do you know? I don't know. <laughs> also, again, I'm not exactly sure what the relation would be. Consider for a moment how the most important events in history are viewed. Joseph Smith is known for either good or evil. And likewise, the Book of Mormon is either reverenced or cursed, as is the true Church of Jesus Christ. And so it is with the righteous founders of this nation. We have lost ground in recent years as we've lost our understanding of the Founders' intents and teachings. We do have a godly heritage in America, but we've been robbed, robbed by the 3%. The 3% has taken away our heritage. We've lost sight of it. We have to get involved and take it back. On every important issue, there is polarization, and either Nephi and the prophets are correct, and these colonizers were the righteous foundation of our history, or they should be spurned and forgotten. When you remove the bells and the whistles of the revisionist arguments, what it really comes down to is a direct attack upon Christianity. They revise the original stories or they just delete them all together. I have six children and if you're like me, I love this country. Uh, we are the most free and uh, secure, prosperous and healthy nation in the world. At least we have been for hundreds of years. But I get this sinking feeling that it's not going to stay that way if we stay on the course we're on. And what do you know about the pilgrims? The pilgrims? Uh, Thanksgiving? <laughs> That's pretty much all I know. They came over and um, if I remember right, there was like an Indian tribe that was kind of hostile and another Indian tribe came and kind of sided with the pilgrims and they went and took out that other tribe and they had a big feast to commemorate their victory, I guess, I don't know. On August 14th, 1621, Pilgrims and Poconokit, shoulder to shoulder, will launch a surprise attack. It was resolved to send 14 men, well armed, and to fall upon them in the night. The captain gave charge, let none pass out. Their victory brings a period of peace to the colony. Their friendship is celebrated in a feast. In time, it will become known as Thanksgiving. To debunk this latest myth fostered by the History Channel, 
please see the primary source, Bradford's History of the Plymouth Settlement. Here we have two competing and completely different stories concerning what America is and what America is destined to be. Only one can be right. By studying the parallels in the Book of Mormon, we can know with certainty which is correct. Well, this is a modern battleground in our day. There is a movement that began really in the mid-1800s. Funny enough, around the same time that Joseph Smith is getting going, the opposition had its own players stepping onto the scene of history to try to destroy and undermine this covenant foundation. And that happened through the rewriting of our history. Probably some of the most influential movers and shakers in this movement to destroy our Christian foundations were actually authors and writers of literature. The book, The Scarlet Letter, is one of these. So The Scarlet Letter is considered a very popular classic. Um, even many conservative homeschooling families will read it. And so I don't want to offend anyone, but let me just share with you a little bit more about the author, Nathaniel Hawthorne. So Nathaniel Hawthorne actually wrote another book when he was 21. And in this book, he basically excused witchcraft um, and ascribed autonomous power to wizardry. Uh, at the same time, while he was in college, he actually consorted with a village witch. So he was someone who had grown up. Uh, he had Puritan ancestors, but he abandoned that faith. And he actually felt an antagonism towards his ancestors and a desire to distance himself um, he was living in Florence, Italy years later um, as a married man, and he actually allowed his wife to go visit mediums and a necromancer. And his sister-in-law was convinced and told Nathaniel, you know, your daughter has the gift of a medium. So, so you see this influence of witchcraft actually uh, running through uh, this family, which is very interesting because the Puritans, of course, Nathaniel Hawthorne's ancestors and the community that he was not a big fan of was very opposed to witchcraft. Um, and so we see that through Nathaniel Hawthorne's own character, he, he was choosing a path not in harmony with the commandments of God. When Nathaniel Hawthorne actually ended up writing The Scarlet Letter, he wrote the entire book in only 19 days, which, if you've read it, is absolutely incredible. It, it is very well written. It is a masterpiece when it comes to uh, English writing, for sure. I've, I've actually taught it um, in some high school classes. Uh, there's no denying his talent. Um, but he wrote the entire book in 19 days. And he said that he wrote it with a feeling as if he was under compulsion. What influence was motivating the Scarlet Letter? What, what was this compulsive spirit uh, giving Nathaniel Hawthorne? the inspiration to complete this work so quickly? I'm going to let you answer that question, but just as a reminder, remember that everything that Nathaniel Hawthorne stood for, his values, his beliefs, was in direct contradiction with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it was in direct contradiction to Nephi and these prophets. Nephi's heroes were Nathaniel Hawthorne's anti-heroes. And this is important to remember as we are choosing our literature and choosing our books and choosing the foundation and interpretation of history that we want our children to have. 
uh, Nathaniel Hawthorne also, when he was at college, uh, made a point to miss evening prayers and public worship on Sundays. This was at a time when that was illegal. And so he was willing to pay a small fine, um, but he would not keep the Sabbath day holy. He repudiated family worship and Sabbath keeping, and he openly mocked sermons that spoke of the judgment of God. One of the tools that has shaped our view of the Puritans is the widely acclaimed novel, The Scarlet Letter, by Nathaniel Hawthorne. It rewrote the history to the point that now, if we look into the thesaurus, Puritan synonyms are primitive, strict, holier-than-thou, prudish, snobbish, self-righteous, crude, and so forth. These new stereotypes have been passed down and then added upon. The motive behind the Scarlet Letter was anything but historical accuracy. Hawthorne detested the strict morality and the biblical lifestyle of the Puritans. He changed the spelling of his name and he wrote the Scarlet Letter to purge his own ancestral past, or at least distance himself from the character and the foundation which was laid by the Puritans. It's also of note that Hawthorne held transcendental and communal leanings and was involved in Brook Farm. Recently, the scarlet letter has become a symbol of atheism. In fact, the red italicized A is becoming one of the most popular symbols for non-belief in current usage. The symbol originated in 2007 when it was chosen by Richard Dawkins and the Richard Dawkins Foundation for Reason and Science in its out campaign. The out campaign's focus was encouraging atheists to speak out and openly acknowledge their unbelief in God. We need people to rally around the A word. We need them to use the word atheist. The atheists know that Hawthorne's Scarlet Letter was instrumental in dismantling our pure Christian founding as emphasized in the Book of Mormon. So Nephi speaks of these early colonizers as humble and having the spirit of God, whereas Nathaniel Hawthorne writes of them as prudish and self-righteous and judgmental. And, and if you read the Scarlet Letter, really, that the Puritans were responsible for encouraging mental illness and judgment and shame on men and women that committed adultery. It's, it's a story that if you really read the message of the story, it's everything that is the opposite of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The Crucible is another example. You have it being written by the atheist Arthur Miller in the 1900s. And his agenda behind that work was actually to compare the Puritans in America to those who were hunting and fighting communists. He was a pro-communist adulterer. Uh, just to learn a little bit more about him, we're going to play this clip from Four-Day Covenant on the Land. Another distortion of the Puritans is The Crucible, written by the atheist Arthur Miller. Miller's intent was to compare the Puritans during the Salem Witch Trials to the House Un-American Activities Committee. He was comparing the anti-communists to witch hunters. It isn't difficult to understand why Miller would have a problem with Puritanism. He was a pro-communist adulterer, and yet we go to him to learn the character and the history of the moral, hard-working Puritans. It's like going to Hitler to learn about the Jews. 
It was the very same in the Book of Mormon. They started with this foundation laid by men like Lehi, Nephi, Jacob, and other great prophets. It was based on pure Christianity. And then they began to stray and move away from that. The question that I continuously pose to our nation today is, do we understand that covenant today? Are our national leaders invoking this covenant today? The Nephites over time moved away from their foundations. We have a great example in the Nephites and in the Jaredites. They were all invoking the covenant and when they failed to live it, what happened to them? They looked back to their early history thinking, oh, Nephi was so strict. Nephi and Lehi, they were much too serious about keeping the commandments. Should this not be a warning to us who are living on the same land under the same covenant? And the thing I find is interesting is how the, how the Book of Mormon has these parallels between um, ancient history on these same sacred lands and then Book of Mormon history. And now we have the final chapter of verse existence playing out again one final time on this on this same sacred land. It certainly is a warning. And in this nation, we, we need to wake up to it and start living this covenant. So again, our understanding today of the early foundations of America is shaped by men like Arthur Miller or Nathaniel Hawthorne, books like The Crucible or The Scarlet Letter. But if you go into scripture, Nephi says that he beholds these Gentiles as going forth out of captivity, humbling themselves before the Lord. If you even read the Doctrine and Covenants, section 111, you have Jesus Christ commanding Joseph Smith to study the founders of Salem, Massachusetts. Salem, Massachusetts, a Salem is essentially a hiss and a byword today in our textbooks. And no one respects the founders of Salem, Massachusetts, but the Lord actually in the Doctrine and Covenants calls them a treasure. The Lord himself has placed his stamp of approval on the faithfulness of the Puritan fathers who settled Salem, Massachusetts. Joseph Smith was commanded by the Lord to inquire diligently concerning the more ancient inhabitants and founders of Salem, Massachusetts, and that in due time, he would gather out from the descendants of these worthy forebears a faithful seed that would be a benefit to Zion. Salem is the county seat of Essex County, Massachusetts. Joseph Smith's first ancestor to come to America, Robert Smith, settled in this county. The Smith family records were actually kept in Salem, where the Lord in the Revelations commanded to inquire after the founding inhabitants. This area was also the residence of many of the ancestors of the early strength of the church. Again, we need to understand as we talk about, okay, there's this tree of life and there's these mists of darkness trying to obscure the path and, and this battle between light and dark. Nephi is giving us the interpretation. He's saying, guys, huh, Jesus Christ comes. He shows the way. That view has been corrupted. You have these righteous pilgrims and Puritans and Scottish Covenanters and Huguenots, and they're charting the way towards restoring the covenants. And their names are being demeaned and belittled. And then you have Joseph Smith trying to restore the gospel and he's being demeaned and belittled as well. These are the myths of darkness in our day. Why are we losing this history? And you know, why does it even matter? 
Because if we erase our fathers, if we erase the Reformation, we will not know our covenants. We won't understand how they're being fulfilled in the last days. President Benson said the foundations of America are spiritual, and that must never be forgotten nor doubted. Lest we forget, let us review those beginnings, looking for the spiritual moorings which underpin our nation, end quote. The reformers and the early colonists are the ones who laid the foundation for Joseph Smith to come and restore scripture and the covenants of Israel. And right now, as we are sitting here, as you're listening to this, there is a battle to destroy your knowledge of these covenants, your knowledge of these forefathers. The time is now for Israel to take our history back. We need to awaken to understand our identity and understand who we are and what our story is. This is the story of Nephi's vision. We need to study it carefully and thoroughly. Nephi talks about how Israel, our ancestors, rejected covenants, so they were scattered and scourged. Israel lost her freedom. She lost her power. She lost her identity. But there's a promise. This is in 1 Nephi 15 where the Lord says that the remnant of the seed of those Israelites, that's us today, would come to know that we were Israel. We'd come to know that we're a covenant people. We'd come to know who our forefathers were, who Jesus Christ really is. Those mists of darkness will be banished. Now, just as a quick clarification, because if you're listening to this and you've been reading First Nephi, you might be confused because you might be saying, it doesn't say Israel in there. It says Gentiles over and over and over. So we just need to clarify that really quickly. And you can learn more about this if you go watch our Simplifying Isaiah videos. But as a quick overview, when you see the term Gentiles, it just comes from a Hebrew word that essentially means nation or nations. So when it talks about Gentiles in the scriptures, Sometimes it's talking about men and women who have none of the blood of Israel, but most of the time it's talking about these nations who are not identified under an Israelite covenant, but they have Israel mixed among them. So this includes all the nations of Northern Europe, other countries. There are countries that have Israel mixed among them, but it's Israel that doesn't know who they are because they've forgotten who they are. They've forgotten their identity. They're no longer ruled by the priesthood, by their bloodline rulers. And so the entire message of the gospel is helping sleeping Israel find out who they are. The acorn has often been used as a symbol for Israel. And I want to talk about that for a second, because if you learn about that symbolism, it's powerful and it ties perfectly into the story. So the acorn is a very small seed that if planted, eventually will grow into a mighty oak tree. In other words, that very little obscure looking seed has potential for great growth and posterity. This, this is Israel, right? She looks obscure. She looks in so many ways in our day, hidden, part of the world, lost to who she is. But within her lies this potential for growth and prosperity. But do you know how long it takes an acorn to actually grow into an oak tree that can then begin producing acorns itself, it usually actually takes 20 to 50 years. In other words, if you want an acorn, plant it today, and it may be your children or your grandchildren who are reaping the next acorns. This is the story of Israel. It's a long process. It's a symbol of patience. 
this patience to attain these long goals over periods of time. But God has this big perspective. He has this perspective of trying to help us come to a knowledge of who we are. And this is what Nephi sees. He sees this journey from generation to generation from the reformers in Europe and then their children and grandchildren coming to America and then their children and grandchildren trying to establish a government of liberty. And then their children and grandchildren doing what? Participating in the restoration of the gospel that begins, of course, with the Book of Mormon coming forth through Joseph Smith. And Nephi says that the Book of Mormon will come forth by way of the Gentile. Um, He's identifying Joseph Smith as a Gentile. Why? Well, was Joseph Smith an Israelite? Absolutely. Uh, If you watch our documentary, Hidden Bloodlines, or some of our other documentaries, it's very documented from statements from presidents of the church and other evidence Joseph Smith was not only a pure descendant of Joseph, but he was also of Judah and possibly some other Israelite tribes as well. So Joseph Smith was absolutely an Israelite. So why is he being identified as a Gentile? Well, because he's hidden. He doesn't, he, at first he didn't know who he was and the world at large certainly didn't know who he was. But through the covenants, through the Book of Mormon specifically, God brought that identity out. We are acorn Israel today. So many of us identify in the world, but that's not who we really are. And there is this battle to erase our history and erase our identity so that we can't overcome the world, so that we can't build Zion. But our righteous ancestors, whether you are from European descent or from if you're whether you're from a different culture altogether or country, These ancestors that Nephi saw in vision are your ancestors. They are your forefathers and foremothers of the covenant. They came on the scene and they used scripture to break chains and overcome the world. And they are an example for us today. In chapter 14, Nephi sees that there aren't very many followers of God and there is war. He sees it's a bitter, bitter war, but that God will keep the promises. He says, I beheld that the church of the Lamb, who were the saints of God, were also upon all the face of the earth. And their dominions upon the face of the earth were small because of the wickedness of the great whore whom I saw. Is this not our day? I'm sure you can identify with this verse, that feeling of Nephi saying, yeah, there are followers of God alive, but... They don't own very much power. Their dominions are small. And Nephi says, I beheld that the great mother of abominations did gather together multitudes upon the face of all the earth among all the nations of the Gentiles to fight against the Lamb of God. This is our day. We live in a day of war, spiritual warfare as well as temporal warfare. And it's not just war over jealousy or misunderstanding. It's, it's a war between light and darkness. But Nephi gives us hope and he tells us what is going to happen. He says, I, Nephi, beheld the power of the Lamb of God, that it descended upon the saints of the church of the Lamb of God and upon the covenant people of the Lord who were scattered upon all the face of the earth. And they were armed with righteousness and with the power of God in great glory. It was the power of scripture. It was the power of the word of God, the power of the iron rod that broke the chain. Think again of that Huguenot monument and then think of us today. 
In the past, we have seen incredible miracles when men and women were willing to exert faith and willing to turn their hearts back to scripture and willing to fight with everything they possessed for truth to be preserved. And today we live at a very definitive time. We live at a turning point in history. I believe we live at a time where one day generations are going to look back to this time and they're going to say, did you preserve the covenant? Did you preserve what all of those men and women bled and died for? Or did you let it die? Did you let the light become extinguished? We are Israel today and it's our duty to keep this covenant alive. And I can promise you that just as Nephi saw, if we will do this, the power of the Lamb will descend. The power of God will intervene and we will be able to break every chain. 